These are the extraordinary tales of those who put everything on the line to succeed. This is The Adventurers with me, Sam Cowan. During this journey into the minds of adventurers and pioneers and record breakers, I met a person who turned on its head the concept of what it means to be that type of person. When I met Grant Lottering, I quickly realised he was the embodiment of that dictionary definition of an adventurer, a person who is willing to take on risky undertakings of uncertain outcome. His story is about how sometimes the biggest adventure of all is to conquer yourself, or at least the parts of you that stand between you and your dream. Grant has cycled all his life. He grew up loving it, feeling it, and breathing it. He says it was in his DNA from an early age. Well, I've been riding since I was 12. It's part of my life, you know. I was rubbish at any other sport. Anything that involved a ball or running around or playing in a team, I was absolutely nowhere, you know. Um, I was always playing catch-up. And I discovered cycling, and I realized this is something I can do, something I can... Because it's all about you, you know. And... Um, and through that, that competitive spirit, just because it's individual sport, you know, you want to improve all the time. You want to, everybody that rides, uh, you know, the big um, rides in South Africa, they always want to improve on their time. It just brings it out in you because it's about you and your bike on the road, pushing yourself, you know. And um, that never left me, even after I was pro and after I stopped riding for a while and then I started riding again, started racing again. I wanted to see whether I've still got it in me. To do really well and um, when I discovered the world champs for vets will be in the Italian mountains I've always been a, a scrawny little bugger that rides in the mountains put me on a give me a 200k stretcher road and a couple of mountains on it and I'm as happy as anything you know <laughs> but on the 21st of July in 2013 Grant Lottering died on that day he was riding in the legendaria Charlie Gaulle cycle race in Trento in Italy he was a real contender the route winds through the mountains of northern Italy and includes some seriously tough climbs. The end of the race is on top of a 22-kilometre mountain, but Grant was ready for it. He trained for over a year. It was his sole focus. But on the way down from one of the peaks, Grant hit a rock face at more than 60 kilometres an hour. Paramedics fought frantically to revive him when his heart stopped and life drained out of his body. Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, it's a day I still relive quite often because um, I remember every second of it. A lot of people, you know, when they see the footage and the video of me lying there and, and, you know, practically dead, they don't realize that I was actually conscious right up to the point where I couldn't breathe anymore. So, uh, you know, we came around that corner so fast. I was with a group of about, we were six. We were chasing the leaders. We were just behind them. And at the bottom of that first mountain, it was going to be a long 40k stretch of flat road. And we knew if we can just catch these guys at the bottom, we can tag along to the next mountain. Otherwise, you spend the whole valley road chasing and you get there and you bug it, you know. So we were giving it everything to try and catch them. And we just got into this one corner just way too fast, way too fast. And me not knowing the road, I was the last guy. I just took that corner way too wide. And there happened to be water on the corner. And I just went straight off. And the next minute, I just see this rock embankment. And all I remember was thinking, don't hit your head, you know. And I literally just turned my whole body and I just struck it with my right shoulder straight, straight into the wall. We were doing over 60 kilometers an hour, and with the pictures I saw afterwards in the footage, I literally lay exactly where I hit the rock. So it was like a dead stop. <laughs> sure, my wind was knocked out, everything, I was in shock, but I was conscious. And immediately, I started coughing blood. Immediately, I knew 
I'm in serious trouble. And I started screaming because I couldn't breathe. And the pain was indescribable, you know. And as I lay there, another cyclist came around the corner. He crashed straight into me. He broke my right leg, my femur, right off. He crashed straight over me. I can still remember that. And then some other riders actually stopped. And they came over to try and help me. But I started to vomit a lot of blood and everything. And, and yeah, I can remember that quite vividly amidst all that chaos. But the incredible thing was I got to a point where I actually started realizing, listen, you're actually dying. You know, I, I started to become aware of that because I felt suddenly the pain left me. I heard subsequently the whole time frame was about 35, 40 minutes uh, from the accident to the time where I actually, you know, where the, where, where the medics there felt that they'd lost me. But um, I lost all, all feeling of pain, left my body. I started losing my hearing. I, I could see all these faces around me. I couldn't hear a thing. And then I lost my vision. And I had like a couple of seconds, literally, and I just made my peace and I actually prayed and I just said, God, I'm dying. You know, and uh, that's it. I passed out. Woke up in ICU the next day. So I remember it very vividly. Grant woke up in hospital days later with his brother sitting next to his bed. He travelled from Holland, where he lives, to be there when Grant found out how much of his body was left after that split-second, almost fatal crash. Grant had no idea what he would face. He only knew he was in great pain. And when he could speak, he asked the doctors in ICU two questions. Was he going to live? And when he found out he was, would he be able to cycle again? And the answer to that was an emphatic no. And it was with that word ringing in his ears, he flew home to come to terms with the full list of his injuries. The right side of my body didn't work at all. <laughs> really, it didn't. Um, I was flown back with medical assistance. We landed in, at Oratambo and ER24 was waiting for me. So they drove me home, got me into their house. Fortunately, I had my mother there and um, some friends and everybody was, the, the support was huge. But yeah, I was pretty much, I, I actually couldn't move, you know. Um, I mean, if you just think, uh, from, my, from my back, my sternum, 12 ribs, my entire shoulder, my right hip, my right femur, everything was broken. You know, it's, um, I couldn't even cough. <laughs> I could barely lift my head, you know, and the pain was just incredible. So I very quickly... You know, I knew I need to get some. If I'm going to come right, I'm, I'm going to have to make sure I get the best medical team possible. And it took about three weeks before I got to um, to the surgeon that actually looked at me for the first time. But in that time, I just I, I couldn't really move much. You know, it's, um, it was tough. A lot of people, I think, would just be grateful to be alive. You go, well, you know what? I had a great run. I did really well. I went off at the peak of my career. Nobody could judge me on that at all. And now it's about getting better. It's about getting to a point where I can walk again and move around again. And that's not where you went in your head at all. You decided that you were going to finish this race that had nearly finished you. Why? Because I wanted to prove I can. You know, I'm, I'm just one of those guys. If you tell me, if you tell me you can't do it, I was like that as a kid as well. You know, tell me I can't do it. <laughs> I'll do my best to find out to prove you wrong. I'll do whatever I can to prove you wrong. And, and, and it's, it's just in me. But I must be honest, uh, there were days where I really thought, you know, Grant, are you, are you sure about this? I mean, a broken femur, you got pins and stuff everywhere, you know, just a leg alone. I mean, your, your muscles degenerate completely. It, you know, I did a lot of research on it on Google and everything, and it takes about a year for your leg to recover fully. You want to start riding a bike in four months' time. Are you, are you sure about this, you know? But I just knew that the mind controls the body, not the other way around. You know, and I needed to make sure that mentally, if I'm going to get back on the bike, because already now I could see myself finishing it. I could see myself sharing my story. 
I could see myself raising funds. That's what drove me. That's why I needed to do it within a year. When the medical team and them said, okay, you know what, I think we'll be able to get you back on the bike, but not next year, maybe in two years' time. I refused to accept it. I said, I have to go back within a year. It'll just be... It will just make the story so much more impactful. And that drove me. And I literally put myself mentally, I put myself there on the finish line a year ahead. What lay ahead was months of pain, months of doubt, months of maybe. A lot of people might have given up. Grant never considered it. For him, it had got bigger than a cycle race. For him, it was about making the rest of his life matter. For so long, he had travelled solo in his mind. Now he had to undertake a full mental inventory. Yeah, you're so right. It was all about me, 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 training, racing, all the preparation. Yeah, I remember I, I still took a selfie the day before the accident, riding up a mountain. I didn't even have a helmet on. I thought I was indestructible. You know, I thought, man, I'm here, best shape of my life, and uh, nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> and then the next day I'm fighting to live, you know, fighting just to stay alive. And um, I realized, but you know what, you're actually not in control as, as much as what you think you are. And things can change in a blink of an eye. And what have you got to show for it? So I spent quite a bit of time in hospital thinking about goals that I had before the accident that I never accomplished. Why not? I couldn't really find valid reasons as to why, apart from perhaps uh, procrastinating and you know just being downright lazy. But also, um, what legacy would I have left behind? If I had died on that day, what, how would people have remembered me? Grant is a driver. He was this, he was that, he was that. Okay, but yeah, and? And then I thought, you know, I almost lost the ability to ride a bike. And I'm not paralyzed, which the doctors um, said it was an absolute miracle. So, yes, I will ride my bike again. I made a decision right there. But I also thought a lot about how sport changed my life as a youngster, how it shaped me, the characteristics that I could draw on now that I got from all those years on a bike. Perseverance, not giving up discipline, commitment, you know, sacrifice, all those things. And um, I started thinking about Laureus, Sport for Good Foundation, where they actually impact children's lives, you know, through sport. And so Grant got on with it. But it was a huge undertaking. And the first thing he had to do was make sure those around him were as dedicated as he was. And that involved some tough calls. What if you fall again? And that was a real fear I had to face. I could do all the work physically, but I had to work on my mind as well, the mental aspect of what if you do fall again? You know, it's not impossible. You never planned to fall in the race, did you? And that was a very real, real threat for me. And I think that was the biggest concern from family and friends. Like, you know, we know you, Grant. Yes, you're going to get back on the bike. We're going to stop trying to convince you otherwise. But have you thought about it, you know? Um, if you were to fall again, what the consequences could be? And there were lots of people who did support Grant. People who supported and believed in this crazy pie-in-the-sky undertaking that he would be back on the bike to complete the race he didn't finish a year after the fall. So tell me then, who was your greatest support? Who's the person you could turn to at any point during that and, and know that that person would have your back, both mentally and emotionally? It'll be unfair to just mention one person, honestly, but definitely Ah, my mother, you know. <laughs> what would we do without our mothers? What would we do? Once I got her to, to buy into what I was trying to do, look, let me put it this way, Sam. My biggest challenge initially was to convince the medical team. I had two surgeons, upper limb, lower limb. I had a pulmonologist for my lungs. I had the biokineticist. I had the physio. I had my nutritionist. I had a whole bunch of people, and they all needed to believe that, okay, he's actually going to do it. Let's help him. That was my hardest struggle, was to convince my surgeons 
to do four surgeries in four months, which initially they really didn't want to do. I needed to convince them to do that because I needed to get back on the bike. So once they bought in to my spirit and my determination, tick, tick, <laughs> I've got them on my side. And then I had to start working on the family. I said, guys, just support me, you know. I've had my bad run. This is going to be good. This is going to happen. I'm going to finish this thing. It's going to be brilliant. Stop worrying about me falling off my bike and start thinking about me finishing and sharing the story with people. In terms of rehab, as you've said, you put a year, what everyone said to you would take a year. You, you had to cram that into four or five months. Yeah. So, so talk me through then a typical day of what that would have been like. Apart from the surgeries I had in Italy, I had three surgeries in a relatively short space of time because my collarbone was completely shattered. I mean, I didn't have a collarbone. And uh, my shoulder blade, it was in pieces. They, we went as far as ordering prosthesis to reconstruct my shoulder blade, which meant no ways would you have ridden your bike in a year. And we decided against that. Um, so there was a lot of work to be done. But, but what complicated it was the, the, the combination of all the injuries from my leg right up my back, everything, my arm. And um, I got to the physio and the bio, and they wanted to see me once a week. I said to them, no, we're going to do this three times a week. And, and they gave me a lot of, a lot of exercises, and um, the rehab was terrible. You know, it was, um, I remember my physio, she, at times she would treat me, and I would just be red blotches everywhere from the pain, literally. And she would be so worried, like, Grant, are you okay? Are you coping here? You know, but you're so determined and you realize that, you know, this pain is nothing compared to what you've been through already. So just get through it. So every day I had to do specific rehab work at home. Elastic, I still do today. I'm still working on strengthening my shoulder. And, um, yeah, every second day we had rehab. And I would spend an hour and a half, two hours at the rehab center, do physio and then do bio. And in between, get on my trainer and just pedal the bike. It initially, 20 seconds was the most I could do. <laughs> but I would sit on that trainer, pedal for 20 seconds, and I would visualize myself riding the mountain. Um, it starts with that tiny little step. But it was tough. What was it like the first time you went back on the bike on the road? You were back mm. in the zone, but on the road. That was terrible. I hated every minute of it. <laughs> I, honestly, I did. My friends came to my house. We, we, we got a group of about 10 guys together, and they all waited for me at a robot, and um, we went on a little coffee ride, my first ride back. And um, my body was in so much pain. I was still stiff. I, couldn't, I was uncomfortable on the bike. My leg was weak. My shoulder was absolutely useless. I was just so uncomfortable on the bike, and I thought, oh, how are you going to do this? I mean, that was, the accident was 21 July. It was the 6th of December. I got on the road for the first time for an hour. But it was way too soon because this VMO muscle, you know, this teardrop muscle on the inside of your knee, that thing just spasmed. And till today, I still get dry needle therapy because it became like a trigger point. Every now and then it just goes into a knot. I just overdid it completely. Just that hour of slow crawling riding. I mean, you could have walked next to me. I was going so slow. It was too much for my leg to handle, you know. But um, I needed to do it mentally. I needed to prove to myself you can get back on the bike. So, yes, it was terrible, but from a mental perspective, I got back from that ride and I was on top of the world. I thought, man, this was, you're going to do this, you know. And he did do it. He did it in his head months before he did it on the road. He wrote to himself. He visualized the race. He talked to himself, he says, luckily, when there was no one else in the house. A team of doctors and supporters could get him ready physically, but he knew no one could get him ready mentally and emotionally except him. The final piece in that puzzle was in the Italian mountains at the place his old life had ended and his new one begun, and he knew he had to make his final piece there. I needed to go back there. I needed to go and 
sit there and I needed to get closure. That was a crucial thing. I knew if I'm going to race around the same corner tomorrow, I need to get closure before I do. I can't come down there and like it's the first time I'm here since last year. So I went back the day before, spent a couple of minutes there, sat on the very spot where I had the accident. And I, I sat there not feeling sorry for myself or revisiting what happened. I sat there visualizing myself racing past that point. And we left. The next day we came through that point and... Um, yeah, I don't know if I should say this, but um, <laughs> if I could have thrown a finger, I would have, honestly. <laughs> so that rock didn't get me this time. Forget it, you know. It was a brilliant feeling. It was just a feeling of, it, it was my biggest victory ever. And as I was descending, I was still trying to keep up to guys in front of me. But, you know, I went around that corner and I just, out the corner of my eye, I saw the rock. I, I looked at it and I just thought, you know what, you've done it. You've done it. But also I thought about all the people that supported me, that took this journey with me, that walked this path with me. And look where I am, simply because I refused to give up. When Grant came home, he came home with purpose. He thought about how he had done the impossible. But for him, impossible had become I'm possible. And he started wondering what else he could do. How far could he go? What would his mind let him do? So I started thinking, I thought, well... What if I give myself a 24-hour target and we come up with a route, a solo route on my own, and it turned out to be 419 kilometers. But I wanted to climb 10,000 meters, which meant I would have had to ride over 10 alpine climbs continuously within 24 hours. Stop now and then just to change clothing, get a bit of food and that type thing. So we started working on that. Because the furthest I've ever ridden before the accident was when I was a pro in Europe and I rode 260 k's in one day. Here I am now, after my accident, and now I'm going to ride 420. I trained up to 350 in a day, but no further than that. So it's physical, yes, but so much of it was mental. And that's the thing for me is to just be an example of what we can do if mentally we really allow ourselves to reach our full potential. I think many people limit themselves physically, and they don't really harness the strength of our mental ability because your mind controls your body. Your mind controls your brain. And there was one point in that event, I had to ride through the night, and I reached um, a particular mountain, it was in the Tour de France this year, at about 7 in the morning. And I'd been riding already about 11 hours, and um, no sleep, so my body wasn't very happy. <laughs> and suddenly I just had no legs, I could barely turn the pedals. And I was really actually in quite a bit of trouble, I thought, if you stop now, you're not going to get going again, you know. And, um, but you have the ability to override your physical pain barrier and and you know scientists call it the central governor and i think a lot of people tap into it they don't even realize it and all i started doing in that moment i just started thinking the pain i've been through to get you last year the year before what you've already done the pain you're feeling now is nothing this july grant will go further he will attempt to cycle 1000 kilometers through the alps to raise money for the laureus sports foundation is he the first person to cycle a 1,000 kilometres through the Alps? No, he isn't. But nobody else has done it in 48 hours ever before. So now you're training for 1,000 kilometres in two days. How? Why? Yeah, that'll be this July or August, depending on the weather. I want to attempt to become the first person to ride 1,000 kilometres through the Alps. Others have done it before, but not within 48 hours. That's going to be the big challenge, and I have to climb a minimum of 20,000 meters. So that's what I am going to do. <laughs> I believe I can. 
How do you train for it? I don't know. I'm more worried about the training and the preparation and the actual day itself. But in order to do it within 48 hours, I'll have to average about 20.4 kilometers an hour, of which almost 500 kilometers will be uphill. So that's steep. That's a very high average speed. And um, I won't be able to sleep for two nights consecutively. So that's a big question mark at the moment. I'm working a bit with the Sports Science Institute to see, you know, just, just the compounding effect of exhaustion, etc. But why do I want to do that? It's, it, it's just continuing. I've, I've done the 400. Initially, we thought, try 650, 700, around there. But, you know, when I finished the 418, I thought, why didn't I go for 500? So I don't want to make that mistake again. <laughs> I, wanna, <laughs> I really want to hit 1,000 Ks. It, it's an insane figure. It's going to take more than what I have to pull it off. I'll have a huge support team, sure, but I would say about 70% of that will account for physical ability. The rest will be mental. My mental strength will get me through. You said at the beginning of the interview how you were before the accident. And, and I do understand it's, it's almost, a, it's not even a selfishness, it's a self-absorbedness. I see it with my own training. I'm going to do a certain amount of hours a day and I'm going to fit that in. And sometimes other things that maybe shouldn't come second do come second. But afterwards, I don't think from what I'm hearing, you're doing this for you anymore. You are doing it for a, for a higher purpose. So yeah. when, when you feel that triumph that you used to feel when you won something or you came very close to winning something, how does that triumph feel now what's the change it's just you know, it's massive um i remember when i finished this ride and and particularly the first um impossible tour on you know where, where i finished in abduez and i i just raised raised my arms in the air when i crossed the line that was like a victory salute not just for me it was a victory salute for anybody who's been through adversity and persevered and overcame it and it was also to inspire youngsters, you know. And um, I've been able, I've been fortunate to speak to a lot of young people about what I've done. And, and yeah, that, those are the guys that I'm, that I'm doing this for, you know. If, if I can do it, who knows what they're capable of doing. And, and that's what drives me. Um, so that to me is, I mentioned the word earlier, relevance. You can win a race, it's great. You get your medal and you go hang it in your bar or wherever you put your medals. Um, but for me, when I finish there, you know, the aim is to race a thousand rand a kilometer. Um, when I finish there, I'll know the funds that I raised. I know where it's going and I know the impact it's going to have on individuals' lives, which will have numerous other benefits. Um, and, and that to me is so much more valuable than just doing something and saying, hey, I've done it and that was my time. Yeah, it's great. But like you say, that's me. That's for me. But. It would have been very, very different if I had to attempt this just because just I feel like it. <laughs> I doubt I would. Really, I doubt I would. If Grant triumphs this July, he will be the first person ever to cycle that distance over that gradient over that time. Remember, a 1,000 kilometres, climbing up to 22,000 metres in 48 hours? If you'd like to support Grant and his venture, you can find him on backabuddy.coza and help him raise funds for the Laureus Sports Foundation. I'm Sam Cowan, and I hope you've enjoyed this incredible story. To see short videos from Grant's first I'm Possible tour and some other great photos from his comeback rides, visit The Adventurers on the 702 or Cape Talk websites. You can also subscribe to the series to have the podcast automatically download to your listening device.